Well, I wonder um, if any of you have been in a situation where you tried to fit a square peg in a round hole. Uh, there's there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Uh, just professionally, some of you some of you maybe you've tried to force a relationship with uh, someone you were dating, a boy or girl that you were dating, and like you knew right away it wasn't going to work, but you just tried to force it anyway. And then like six months later, you're like, ah, I should have listened to my to my gut. Maybe maybe some of you have been offered a position and uh, a job, and you're like, it doesn't quite sit right with me, but I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to force it. I'm going to muscle through it. I'm going to make it work. And then six months later, you're like, yeah, I should have listened. I should have known. Uh, the first church that I was on staff at, that I served at, um, they had, they were more of a kind of a traditional church. They were older, a lot of, a lot of hymns, a lot of, uh, a lot of business meetings were in it. Uh, but a lot, they love like fifth Sunday singings. Anybody go to church with fifth Sunday singings? Man, I loved it. I loved sitting in the singing. I am not a musician though. And I tried to tell them that, but they didn't believe me. Okay. And so I told them. I'm like, I'm not a musician. You shouldn't trust me to sing anything. Uh, but because I'm on staff, uh, the rule was if you're on staff, you have to be in the Christmas choir. Okay. And so this church about this time of year would be kind of putting together the Christmas choir and everybody in the Christmas choir, they called it the Christmas cantata. I don't, that sounds like a sword in Japan. I don't know what a cantata is, but, uh, we, we were a part of that. Everybody else is volunteer. Everybody else has tried out or proven their musical prowess in some way, except me, uh, who I can't see but I am now in the musical cantata. And I told the, I told the pastor, I told the musicians, I said, believe me, I'm not the guy for this job. And they're like, no, believe me, it's required of you. You will, you will do this thing. Uh, the, the pastor, he was, he was musically talented. He could sing, of course, the, the worship pastor, he was, he was musically talented. And so we get to singing and we're singing like Silent Night and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I did my best. I don't think I hit any of the notes. Like I, I think the alphabet of notes stops at G. I was in the R's and the F's and the Q's. Like, like I was all over the place. Uh, my pitch was everywhere. And, and they thought, they thought two things. One, they thought I was making it up. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, I can't even play a radio in tune, much less sing a song. Two, uh, they also believe that, listen, Jesse, if we just work with you, we can teach you how to sing and we can make it possible. We can we can get you ready for the musical Christmas cantata. And I'm thinking, you've got six weeks. I don't think that's enough time. I don't think it's going to work out. Uh, needless to say, uh, around the 1st of December, uh, I get one of the lead musicians. He says, Jesse, we need a, can we talk for a second? And they said, hey, listen, um, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just not working out. Uh, I'm the uh, only person in the history of that church to have been fired from the volunteer Christmas choir. Uh, and, and I was as tickled as can be. I'm like, yes, I didn't want to be a part of this thing anyway. And I knew that I was bad, but they were convinced. They were convinced that just give me enough time that they would bring out of me like the diamond in the rough, a talented American Idol worthy musician. And though I tried to tell them that is not ever going to happen. And I've come to peace with that. Um, yeah, it just, it just is. It took, it took them a while. They were trying to fit the square peg in the round hole. I wonder if you've, you've uh, tried to force that relationship a, a season longer than it should, or I wonder, I wonder if you've tried to take an opportunity that sounded good on paper, but didn't, and then, and then it didn't work out. I wonder also, and uh, what we'll talk about today, I wonder if you've ever tried to worship God in a way that made a lot of sense to you, but everything screamed, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't how it's going to work. This, this isn't it. Uh, but we tried to force it instead. We're going to, 
we're going to look at a passage of scripture in a moment where some dude, he's just like, I've got God figured out. We're going to worship him this way. And God's like, no, you're not. That is not how you're going to worship me. And he tries to force it and uh, it has devastating uh, circumstances. But let's, let's all get on the same page. If you uh, literally on the same page, if you would like to open your Bible, we'll be in Genesis chapter four, which in my Bible, ironically, is on page four because it's really easy to find all of Genesis. It's right at the start. We are uh, on week four of a series called First Things First. And what we want to do is we want to take a look at the very first parts of Scripture and the first parts of as God is revealing his nature to us and also revealing our nature to us. Uh, we take a look at those first things because it really informs how we understand the later things. It really informs how we understand the Christmas story, which we'll be getting to in a couple of weeks. It really informs how we understand uh, Jesus in the cross. All the things that you accepted as a new Christian were in the middle of the story. I don't know anybody who's opened up the book of Genesis and got to like chapter five. It's like, I'm just ready to give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like there's not enough information there to kind of figure it out. You can learn some things about God. And so what happens sometimes is that many of us, we enter church, we're sitting where we're sitting now, and we know the middle of the story so well, but we don't realize that the middle of the story has a lot of echoes going all the way back to the beginning. And if we got first things first, we would see that the story isn't just some random list of rules that God is making and that Jesus isn't just some random nice guy that God liked, that, that he's actually been predicted and prophesied since the beginning. He was actually the solution to a problem that began at the beginning, and he's actually just the continuation of the same nature of God that met us in our brokenness at the beginning and is more and more fulfilling that along the way. And so what we've done for the last few weeks looking at Genesis is that we've, we've discovered a couple of things. We've discovered one is that God is a God of order. He's a God who looks at chaos and purposelessness and meaninglessness and the void. He looks at all that chaos and he, he's attracted to it. He, he's constantly running towards the chaos and he does some things and he adds purpose and value and beauty into this thing. And then he stands back when he's done, he says, it's good. He's always satisfied with what he's done and what he's capable of accomplishing. He's a God of order. He's a God of creativity. And then when he creates mankind and when he creates us, we're created in, in his image. We're the only thing in all the universe. Think about that. Not, there's no totem poles made in the image of God, not, not you know, uh, validly made in the image of God. There's, nothing, there's no planets that are like, that's, God is the universe. God is the trees. No, no, no. God has placed on this planet image bearers of him, and it is us. We are his, his, his representative. And in doing that, we should be running to chaos and finding order, subduing this creation, having dominion over it. That's, that's what brings us the most satisfaction. But as we looked at last week, uh, instead of subduing creation, uh, we fall in prey to, to our own, uh, our own tendencies, uh, the, the serpent and the, the fall of man. But anyway, um, we, we, instead of subduing the serpent, um, we get a little bit of a, a taste of evil. Now we experientially know evil and, and our, our relationship with God is, is fractured and broken as a result of it. There was a spiritual death there. And so last week, where we ended, and we'll pick up kind of where we left off, Last week where we ended, Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. Adam and Eve are now placed outside of the garden and they're now trying to figure out a life, an existence that they were never really quite designed for, uh, a broken relationship with God. And what are they going to do? They have no kids yet. They have no family. What, what are they going to do? So we're going to pick up in, in chapter four. We're going to read about the first, uh, first children. Uh, let me rephrase that. The first humans with belly buttons uh, right here in chapter four. 
One of the questions, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Who knows? Yeah, they didn't really need one. They were made fully adult, so they didn't need an umbilical cord. If they had a belly button, it's because God, God's like, I don't want you to freak out when your kids have a hole in their stomach. Uh, and so, like, you have one now. Uh, but probably the first time anybody has a belly button, we have Cain and Abel. Uh, I would invite you to, to read with me, even if you feel familiar with the story, you kind of know where it's going. If I say Cain and Abel, immediately we think, oh, brother's going to kill somebody. Yep. Okay. But there's a lot more going on here. Okay. And so I invite you to follow along. And, and if, if you can, uh, kind of hear the story with fresh eyes, not assuming we know the conclusions right away. Chapter four, verse one it says, uh, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I need to, need to unpack a little bit right there. Um, immediately following the fall, uh, Adam and Eve, they have a break in their relationship with God, but they also have a break in their relationship with each other. If you were here last week, you probably remember, Hey, Adam, what have you done? It's like, well, God, it was that woman you gave me. She messed us up, God. Like we had a good thing going and the woman you gave me, it's kind of your fault, God. It's kind of her fault. Definitely not my fault. And there's a break in the relationship between the husband and wife. Immediately they saw their nakedness and they were ashamed of themselves and of each other. They have a break in their relationship. But in the grace of God and providing their needs as they're being sent out, something, you know, kindled in their relationship. They, they have a, a child. There's some restoration of their relationship. And it says that she bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, uh, that is a really kind of vanilla statement. Uh, I've, I've done some reading and uh, there's a lot of study about just that one statement. What is Eve talking about? What is she, what is she so excited about? There's, there's a couple of thoughts about this. One is this, that they were told to be fruitful and multiply before the fall and then the fall happened. And now it's a question, how many of God's uh, original intentions are going to continue post-fall? So part of this is like, she might just be excited that she's able to, to have a child to begin with. Um, like, oh, well, we get to, we get to continue to, to have dominion over the earth. But it says a man, uh, God has given me a man. There's, there's a little bit of a taste of like, Eve is a little bit angry at Adam. Adam put us in this situation. Adam had a job to do and he didn't provide, he didn't protect me from the serpent. There's a little bit of a, that, that God might be replacing Adam with her son, that she's putting a little bit more value on Cain than she should. Um, this, this idea would also uh, kind of go back to when, when God was cursing the serpent, God promised the serpent. He says to the serpent, he says, um, uh, out of her uh, will come one who you will bruise his heel and he will bruise your face. Like he'll bruise your head. It's a great, like you, know, you should see the other guy kind of a story. I have bruises on my hand, but you should see the other guy. Uh, that, that there's this promise. So Eve might be seeing this as she gives birth to Cain, her first child. She might be seeing this like, all right. We're going to beat the serpent. It's time. This is the man that God has promised. This is the God man. This is the one of promise. There's, there's a little bit of a built into this that, that Eve is about to build Cain up to do a role that wasn't his to do. There's, you're on dangerous territory, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at your spouse and you expect them to complete something that is missing in you. It is a flaw that is from the very beginning all the way through. Um, and it is a mistake that we made. It's really, you know, the, the whole like Jerry Maguire, you complete me. You complete me. It sounds great. It makes for good romantic comedy. It makes for terrible marriages. And you need marriage counseling if this is the beginning of, of the relationship. Because we're never meant to complete the thing in our spouse. That's God's job. But Eve, she may be kind of building Cain up for something. I've, I've gotten a man 
uh, with the help of the Lord. Verse two, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. So he, he like raised goats and sheep probably milked them, uh, probably just had like farmland and pastures. And Cain was a worker of the ground. So he's a farmer like his dad, like Adam was. Adam was, he was to keep the, 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 the garden. That was his original intention. And so when he leaves the garden, he probably continues that job. And so uh, Cain becomes like his dad. Uh, Abel is, is a, a goat herder. And it says in verse three, in the, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, some of you, if you've been around the Bible enough or if you've tried to read the Bible in a year, you've gotten to this part and you kind of, you remember that story. Cain and Abel, how much time do you think has passed before they're making this offering? Like we're on verse five right now. We have to have like 20 years plus worth of time that have passed. They're already adults at this time. One of them's out kind of guarding sheep and raising sheep. One of them's out, you know, farming the land. And they decide to, to make an offering to God. They're going to they're gonna worship God. This is the first time anybody's like trying to figure this out. We don't have a story of Adam and Eve, what they did. We don't know if Cain and Abel were given instructions for how to worship God. Maybe, maybe they're trying to worship God for the first time and they're just like, we got to do something. And Abel's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take one of these goats and I'm going to slaughter it and I'm going to, I'm going to have a barbecue for God, right? And uh, Cain's like, oh, that's good. I'm going to get some carrots and potatoes and I'm going to grill them up real nice for God. And we're just going to see which one he likes. One of them, scripture says, God had regard for, and the other one God did not have regard for. It doesn't say that God was mad at Abel for what he brought or was like super happy with Cain or, you know, vice versa. It just says regard. What does that word regard mean? Uh, in in uh, the Hebrew, the word is uh, gaze, it's to, it's to look at. So look at. So let me let me talk to you for a second. You, you, those of you who work in a job, uh, or or you have children and you're trying to correct uh, behavior, there are two things that you can do to correct behavior. Um, one is that you can punitively talk negative about the negative things, or two, you can you can possibly have positive reinforcement for for one and just kind of trying to set the the example. Right. Uh, this is kind of like a, the stick in the carrot. You guys know this, right? Uh, you either either correct with a stick and you have some punitive response or you correct with the, with the carrot. This, this idea that God had regard for one or the other is that they both brought their offering to God. They both decided they're going to worship God in this way. And somehow God indicated with his gaze and what he was doing that Abel's worship was good and right and what he wanted. And this just ticked Cain right off. He just gets angry. There's, there's a way to worship God that is right and there's a way to worship God that we just make up on the fly. And God is not made in our image. We're made in his image. He's a real and living God. And as a result, we should ask him some questions. Like, God, how do you want me to, to worship you? Do you want me to worship you uh, with my time and energy? Do you want me to worship you with, with just being really nice to people? Or do you want me to worship you in, in, in these ways that you've prescribed? But what happens with Cain... It says that, that, uh, that God had no regard for him. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Um, this, this is, this is probably 
something you recognize. You ever, you ever walk into a room and you can just read on someone's face that something's wrong, right? Uh, if you're married, uh, if you don't know that skill, it'd be really wise of you to maybe ask somebody, like, hey, how do you get that skill? Like, you walk into a room and the face has fallen. Okay, all right. I notice, honey, that your face has fallen. Uh, maybe, maybe we should talk about that for a second. Uh, if you're if you're blind to that, um, you know, uh, just just talk to somebody, get, get get some help. Cain is angry and his face is falling. Everybody looks at Cain. It's like there's something wrong with Cain. There's, he, he's not addressing it. He's, he's steaming. He's just kind of. Mm. Hey, Abel may go up to him and be like, hey, bro, what's, what's you okay? He's like, just don't, don't talk to me. His face is fallen. Cain is angry and his face is fallen. Now, here, here's where we jump in the story. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, what happens in a moment? Cain kills Abel, right? And so we connect. Uh, Cain got angry at this moment. And then Cain is just like, I'm so mad. He just gets a sword and just goes after it or whatever. But there's an in-between moment that we should pay attention to uh, as, as a church because it's going to help us not only know our nature, but it's going to help us know God's nature. Here's what happens in the next verse. So, so Cain's angry, his face has fallen. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? You know, sometimes, um, sometimes when, when I'm uh, uh, stressed, uh, I'm the last person to find out about it. This is really odd. I don't know how to explain it quite, quite right. Uh, I will be kind of peeking out on my stress level. My voice is raising. I'm becoming a little bit more angry, a little bit more short-tempered, a little bit more like agitated. You can tell, you, you knew before I knew. And someone will be like, Jesse, are you stressed? And I'm like, no, it's none of your business. And then I think, oh, I am, I am kind of short-tempered. I, I am, oh, oh I'm, I, I need to do something. There, there's this invitation when someone asks me, Jesse, are you stressed? What's, what's stressing out? There's this invitation for me to pause and to think about it. When God looks at Cain, his face is falling. He's walking around, he's mad. He's, he, he may be the first human to be mad. He may be the first human to, to have his feelings hurt in this way. Uh, and God says to him, why, why are you angry? This is an invitation from God for Cain to just pause and like, okay, what, what's happening inside your heart right now? Think about it. Before you do something you regret, think about what is happening. Um, I wonder, uh, not, not, not that any of us would be this, but I wonder if uh, some of us have a difficult time being introspective, especially when we're angry. I wonder if we get more angry sometimes when someone points that out in us. Hey, I notice like you're really on edge and our response might be, not, not definitely, but might be, you know, mind your business. Stay in your lane. I'll deal with that. That's, that's, on, that's on me. It may be that the Lord often gives us the opportunity to pause and like, hey, what's, what's going on in your heart? What, what is making you angry? Why is your face fallen? Here's what the Lord says after that. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He's telling Cain, he said, listen, listen, you're mad. I kind of understand why you're mad. But, but if you do well, if you just like make a tweak, isn't it possible for you to worship me in a way that is appropriate? Isn't it possible for you to have a relationship with me? You can see that I'm accepting some. Maybe just ask the question. Maybe go ask your brother for uh, you know, a sheep or something. If, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, he warns him. He says, sin is crouching out the, at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Notice, notice that Cain is really angry right now, and God doesn't say, hey, you've sinned. You've broken a commandment. 
We, we sometimes think that anger is a negative emotion and we need to do something about it. I need to pretend I'm not angry right now. I need to pretend I'm not the one who's mad in this argument. I need to pretend everything is fine with me because I don't want that anger to come out. God doesn't say you're angry, therefore you've sinned. He's saying, be careful, you're angry and sin is about to get you. This is, this is all throughout scripture that your emotions, your primary emotions, especially anger, fear, sadness, uh, all those negative emotions that you don't want, they are not bad for you. They're to indicate to you something more going on in you. There's a, a phrase I read that our emotions are major prophets of what's really going on inside of us. See, what Cain hasn't quite figured out, and give him a break. He's the third human to, to be alive. So he doesn't have a lot of people to go ask. He can't go ask grandpa. There isn't one. Uh, but what Cain doesn't know, uh, and something that we can learn, is that his anger, if he would have paused and said, where's this coming from? He may have realized there's something else going on inside of him that is outside, something that he can do something about, but, but he doesn't. He says that God says that sin is crouching at the door. It's desire is for you, but you must rule over. There's that phrase again, to be image bearers of God, we're supposed to rule over and subdue this creation. His parents, Adam and Eve, they were supposed to subdue the serpent. Their threat was outside of them. The serpent was just trying to deceive them over here and they should have subdued him and they didn't. Cain has the same problem we have though. The serpent isn't always outside of us. The serpent is sometimes our own desires, our own anger. There's something broken in us that we sometimes go to the negative. We go to the places that are going to hurt others the most. They're going to hurt us the most. Be careful, Cain, the Lord says. If you just come ask me, you can, you can have a good relationship with me. But, but if you're not careful, sin is about to get you. And so what happens? Sin gets him, right? Verse 8 says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. I wonder what he said. Uh, hey man, how's things going? Uh, I wonder if he asked him, hey, how, why is it that God likes you so much and he doesn't like me? I wonder if he's like, hey, I got an idea. You want to go play uh, swords? You want to, you want to, like, hey, I found this bomb. You wanna, I found this hole. Why don't you climb down in it? Uh, I don't know what he said to him. He said, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, uh, Abel, and killed him. We have, uh, if we're doing some CSI murder investigations, this is the mur first murder in the Bible. Um, it's really not boding well for humankind, if I had to be honest with you. Um, we, we have Adam and Eve, right? And, and they're, the, the first thing they do is make a mistake, but their mistake was they, they ate something they weren't supposed to. So, like, really, how bad is it going to get? Well, their kids murdered each other. That's how bad it's going to get. Like the next generation, we invent murder. We don't invent espionage next. We don't invent lying next. We don't invent like adultery next. Like all the things that we do wrong as humans, we don't invent those next. You know what we invent? The word, like murder. We're going to, we're just premeditated murder at that. Hey, come over here. I found this field. Isn't this nice? Wham! And he's just done. He kills him. Verse nine, then the Lord said to Cain, hey, where's Abel, your brother? Where's your brother? This is so similar to what he did with his parents. Hey, Adam, where are you? Not behind this tree, God. I'm not over here. You know, he's, he says, he says, I heard you were coming and I was afraid. Hey, Cain, where's, where's your brother? God doesn't not know where Abel is. He's inviting Cain to own this. He's inviting Cain to say, God, I was so mad. And you said sin was crouching at the door and it attacked and I just, I didn't subdue it. I, I, I fell prey to it. He invites Cain to do that, but he doesn't. Hey, uh, 
Cain, where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. The first lie in the Bible, by the way, the first human lie, uh, is Abel's like, I don't know. He's like still washing his blood off his hands. Like, no, I haven't seen him. He could be anywhere. Uh, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He, he turns to God. And he's like, is this even my job, God? He starts questioning like the validity of God's question. Like how, how prideful has Cain gotten in just a split second? And so we get to the consequence. And the Lord said, what have you done? I already know what you did. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. He's like, I hear him screaming right now. I already know what you've done. He says, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The, the, the story, if you're following along from, from the beginning of Genesis, is, hey, Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you the ground, and you're to subdue it and have dominion over it. And now in the first generation, there was a murder, and the ground is like crying out, like they're not doing a good job with us. They're not doing good. Like the blood is now on us. And so it's like testifying in a courtroom over what has happened. And so there, here's the curse. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You're not going to find any pleasure in your work, Cain. The thing that brought you so much joy before, that's, I'm taking that from you. You're not going to find its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You're, this idea of you just like staying safe and secure and, and being right now, you're just, you're, you're, you're just going to wander around. The rest of your life is going to be a life of, of pain and uncertainty. Cain said to the Lord, my, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain's response is, I can't, I can't handle this. I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't bear this on my own. Uh, so I don't read everything in Hebrew. I'm not, I'm not even that good at Hebrew. So I just like the number of times I bring up Hebrew words, just don't be impressed. I just, I, I, I study and I look for it. Um, this word punishment, uh, is also translated iniquity, uh, elsewhere. Almost every other time it's used. My iniquity is greater than I can bear. Cain, Cain looks at this. Cain's job, Eve thought Cain's job was to be the promised God man. And then, and then iniquity is laid on him and he cries out to God, I can't do this. I can't bear this iniquity. It is too much for me to bear. I made a note, uh, in the margins. I have time to chase it real quick. It's Isaiah 53, five through six. It's not going to come up on the screens. Lucas, you, you won't have to look for it. I just found it this morning. Uh, Isaiah 53. Just listen, listen to this. This is a prophecy in Isaiah talking about the real God man, the one that is promised, talking about Jesus. And it says this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what the difference is between Cain and Jesus? Cain was guilty and he says, I can't bear this iniquity. I can't carry it. Jesus was innocent. He says, give it to me. I'll carry it. I will pay the price that Cain should have paid. You see, what we expect to happen right now is cold-blooded murder, premeditated murder. You know what Cain deserves? Capital punishment. He deserves to be executed. God shows him grace and mercy, and then he lets his own son go to the cross to take the pain and punishment. Cain says, I can't, I can't handle this iniquity, but Jesus takes it. Verse 14. Genesis 1, 14. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. I can't even do the things I love anymore, God. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. How interesting of a warning is that? Isn't it? It's weird. Cain, 
10 minutes ago, invented murder. And now he's convinced, if you turn me loose, other people will do this thing to me that I just invented, murder. There's something in human nature. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if, if there's a name for it. I don't know if psychologists have pinned it down, but there's something in human nature that the source of your shame, if you don't address the source of your shame, you assume in other people the worst versions of you. Cain has invented a thing that nobody else has ever thought of, and now he's convinced that somebody's going to, to murder him. I wonder what, what sources of shame that, that when we don't turn them over to the Lord, we just assume and others are happening to us. When, when, we, uh, when we're guilty of talking behind people's backs, and we're just like, you know, we're kind of the snake in the grass, and we're, we're talking about so-and-so, and we're saying, you know, you can't trust him. Like, he's just a liar. Then, then what do we assume about a month later? People are talking about us behind our backs. When, when, we, uh, when, when our sin, our, our, un, uh, our unsolved sin is like a, maybe like a wandering eye and someone's going to leave us, someone, uh, we're scared that our spouse is going to leave us, or, or worse, we're, we're the ones who are acting out in that way. Uh, give us about a month or two, and what we start to think is that it's our spouse who is doing this to us. We always take the source of our shame, the source of our guilt, and we project it onto other people. And Cain does that very thing right here. He says, they're going to kill me, God. Then the Lord said to him, no, no, none of that's true. Not so. Cain's brokenhearted that he's being pushed away from God and other people are going to kill him and he's going to find no joy. And God's like, no, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. I don't know what the mark was. Uh, so, some people think he got leprosy. What a mark would that be? Like, hey, I'm going to put a mark on you so nobody kills you. Yes, leprosy, oozing. Like, oh, this is terrible. I don't like that. Verse 16, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That word Nod means the wandering. He just goes out and he's just like, he's got no home. He's got, he's got nowhere to be. See, even, even in, in, in Cain's um, sin, even in his crime, God shows him mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't kill him and he protects him from the damage of others. What was the problem? Uh, if you can figure, you know, kind of think through it with me. What did Cain do wrong before he killed his brother? Cain thought he could invent a way to worship God. He never thought to ask God what God wanted. He never thought, like, is this the way that is pleasing to God? Is this a life that is pleasing to God? He wanted to come to God on Cain's terms. And God's like, no. God is not made in our image. This is something we have to learn. That one of our duties as followers of Jesus is to learn the nature of God celebrate the nature of God and to conform to his nature and not expect him to conform to our nature. This is why we're the church of, you know, the, the line is grace and truth. The truth is that we don't get to choose what God is for or against. Well, that's the truth. We just have to state what he's for or against. The grace is, is that he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, capital punishment, uh, uh, all of us for, for breaking that right away. Jesus addressed this, this idea that, that you have to come to God on, on his terms in the book of Luke. If you want to hold your finger in Genesis, turn to Luke with me, uh, chapter 11. We'll look at something Jesus said there. Now, we're several generations after Cain. The world is full of people who are trying to follow God. It's also full of people who claim to know how to follow God, uh, and, and they're not teaching other people really well how that looks. In fact, they're teaching them the opposite. They're putting burdens on them about how to follow God that God never put on them. And so Jesus has been talking about that, and some of the people get mad. And so it says in verse 45, chapter 11, verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. It's not fair, Jesus. You know, you're making... 
you know, like as you're making fun of all those people, I feel like you're attacking me a little bit, Jesus. And I would just wish you would. And Jesus is like, yeah, I am kind of attacking you, man. Let me tell you why. He says, uh, verse 46, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. He says, you keep adding on to people all these rules about how they're supposed to get close to God and you're not doing anything about it. You're not doing anything to help them and you're not even doing the things you're telling them to do. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. He's like, you know all those generations of people that, you know, they were killing folks for following God and teaching them about God? Yet yeah, you're, you're kind of agreeing with them. You're a part of that system that did that. He says, so you're a witnesses and you consent to their deeds of your fathers for you killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, who we just talked about, to the blood of Zechariah, a prophet that they killed. Here's what Zechariah was killed for. Zechariah is a prophet of God, and he goes to the king of Israel and says, hey, we're all sinning as a nation. I don't think God wants us to worship him this way. Like, you know, it's kind of obvious to me that we shouldn't do this. We should do this other thing instead. And instead of saying, oh, Zechariah, thank you for your help in teaching us who God was, they just murdered the fool. They just killed him and left his body there. They're like, we don't like this. We're going to worship God our way instead, so they killed him. And and it says that the, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. Jesus's warning is that your mistake is that you're taking away from people the opportunity to know what God was really like, how they're supposed to worship him. And today, this generation that is standing in front of Jesus is going to have to pay for it. And what they heard was, oh, he's threatening us. Here's Jesus. We're going to get him. He's threatening us. Yeah, uh, the blood was extracted. It's just Jesus was the one. He was the one in the generation to, to take it. In the New Testament with Jesus, in the Old Testament with Cain and Abel, and all the way through from both ends of the Bible, this is true. The God that you're wanting to follow doesn't give you permission to figure out and make up how to follow him. Our quest should be the quest for truth, not the quest for comfortable following of Jesus. We have to be willing to point at things and say, that's good and acceptable to God, and I'm sorry, and I love you, and I love you so much I'm going to tell you the truth. That's not. We have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, is this acceptable of God, or am I just deceiving myself, and I'm trying to convince myself that I'm good enough, and gosh darn it, God's going to like me. The truth is, is that Abel had regard from God and Cain didn't because Abel sought God. So uh, as the story unfolds, if you were to read the rest of Genesis 4, what you're going to see is uh, Cain, uh, he leaves, he starts having kids. Uh, he, has, he has seven generations or followed after Cain out in the wilderness. Uh, one of these guys uh, right in the middle, uh, his name is Lamech, uh, he murders a guy in cold blood. He, he said like he got pushed or shoved or something. He's like, this guy wounded me. And so I killed him. I killed him so big and so strong that the first human song ever recorded in the Bible is Lamech bragging about how good of a murderer he is. And he says, if my grandfather deserves seven-fold uh, punishment, then, then I get 77. It's like the, it's the opposite of what Jesus says in uh, Matthew 18. But fast forward to verse 25, because this is where we land today. What are we supposed to learn? Like, what, This sounds really punitive. What, what should we get from it? Here's what we get. 
God wasn't finished with humankind even then. Even after they start murdering one image bearer, killing another image bearer, still God has a plan. Verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Imagine the heartbreak. I didn't even mention this. What kind of heartbreak? I think, I think Adam and Eve would have said, I would rather die than watch one of my sons kill my other son and I'll lose both of them in the process. You know, they, they were so afraid that by sinning, they would taste death and they, they thought they were gonna die themselves, but instead this happened. The word Seth means foundation, appointed. What Eve and Adam see in this third son is that God is gonna restart the promise through him. And to Seth, verse 26, also a, a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At, the time, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Enosh, Enosh means frailty of man. We're fragile. We're weak. We don't have the power in ourselves to bring us back to God. We need to trust God. And after Enosh, it says, at this time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. All this chaos in the first few chapters of Genesis, this chapter has generation of murder and people are, are, are killing each other and all this chaos. And it's not until someone admits that we're frail and we're broken that people start worshiping God again. Here, here's the path back to God. Here's the truth. Um, you can't figure out how to worship God unless he teaches you. You can't figure out how to, how to have a, a peaceful relationship with your creator. You can't figure out how to solve for your shame unless he teaches you. The frailty of man, the weakness that we have, is that we don't have it in ourselves to know that well. But there's so many things in this world that say, hey, you have shame, you have guilt, just do this. This solves it. You are a good enough person. You just do that. No, no. when we admit our own weakness, then we can worship God well. It was at this time where Enosh, the frailty of man, shows up. At this time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Real worship springs out of this knowledge of weakness. The, the, the last thing I want to say is that the God of order, the one that we're worshiping, we, he must be and can only be worshiped as he really is. He is not made in our image. And so we don't have freedom to approach God on our terms, only on, on his terms to seek him, to know him, to, to, to con confess to him. And because we have that weakness, we, we find our way back to God when we admit our own frailty, and when we turn away from our illusions of power and peace, the ability to create peace by ourselves, and we trust in the one whom he sent. We trust that God's plan is going to work out the way that it is. Another way of saying it, now that we're all the way in the New Testament, we're a New Testament church. We know better than, than Cain and Abel. So first we have to confess that we've done some things wrong. We have to confess our sins. We have to repent. We have to choose. I'm not going to do that anymore. This is leading me to death and it's leading my family to death and it's causing problems for me. To repent is to just turn away from all the things that we're making up and then we turn towards and submit to Jesus. Jesus is the promised one that Eve was looking for. Jesus is the better Adam, he's, the, he's a far better Cain, and he's a better blood sacrifice than Abel because Jesus' blood pays the price. The iniquities that Cain felt, the iniquities that we feel, that is the, is the, is the source of our shame, they've been laid on him and paid for on the cross. If we're going to have any peace, if we're going to have any worship with Jesus, we have to begin with this. We have to begin with our own frailty and then repent and then submit to him. Let me pray. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. The story of of Cain and Abel, um, I guess it's heartbreaking in one sense, interesting in that it's so far away. The human heart is that we want to deceive ourselves and we want to come to God on our own, own terms. 
you would be wise to try to come to God on his terms and just talk to him and be willing to say yes to the things that he says yes to and say no to the things that he knows, says no to. That's where you'll find the most peace in your life. Father, uh, we come to you this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, we, we, we read the story of, of Cain and Abel. Um, we, we too want to come to you. We want to, we want to have a right relationship with you. Help us, Father, to, to know your terms and to come to you on your terms. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, that uh, our iniquities have been paid for, um, because I think we would all scream the same as Cain, that we, these iniquities are too much for us. We can't bear them alone. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. May we, may we find uh, the solution to our shame, the solution to our guilt and our pain uh, in the cross, and uh, may we walk in that peace. Thank you that you, you, uh, you restore a right relationship with you. We love you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.